Hey, it's Mike from the High Hash Rate Podcast. Just want to take a brief moment here and thank Fountain.fm for really helping us grow our podcast. I mean, this has been a, a fun ride. We're very thankful for all of our listeners. And if you found us through Fountain, uh, which is likely the case, because that's where most of our traffic comes from. What a cool model, right? Podcasting 2.0. But if you are not listening to High Hash Rate on Fountain.fm, we highly recommend it. You can stream sats to your favorite podcasts. You can also create clips and even stack sats by listening to your favorite podcasts. It's that easy. So if you're not a fountain, head on down and download fountain.fm today and start listening and stacking them sats. Without Bitcoin, and so it's true, I and mean, without Bitcoin... I'm not trying to even be a talking to you guys, really. I, because what else can you grasp? If you fully, like, what else can you grasp onto right. that that's solid, that you know is the foundation? Right. right now, there's nothing in the world like that except Bitcoin. And that's why people are running around with their heads in the clouds because they don't know what's going on and they can't grasp onto anything solid. Hey, everybody. This is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either. But it helps. Welcome back to High Hash Rate. Uh, today we're talking to Jeff. Uh, Jeff is the co-founder of MassAdoption.net. Uh, you know him on uh, Twitter as MSBitcoinLife.com. Uh, I've been trying to connect. We've been trying to connect with you for a couple months now. Um, we, you were recommended by Phil, who I think is uh, uh, associated with mass adoption. Uh, you guys might know him as Need Creations on Twitter. He's pretty active there. But so he, he you know, he recommended you. We reached out a few months ago, and we finally got this uh, this episode scheduled. But uh, so excited to talk to you, Jeff. How you doing? Great. And, and, and thanks. And I have to shout out to Phil who, who referred me to you guys. He's a big part of our team at Mass Adoption. So I appreciate him. Awesome. So let's kind of dig into your background and kind of who you are. Like what, uh, what are you doing these days? And, and how did you get to where you are at today in your, your, your Bitcoin journey or your orange pill story? Kind of start wherever you think is, is most relevant. I'll try to make it quick because I'm I'm 60 years old, so it could be a long story, but I'll try to make it quick. Uh, I, I've been an entrepreneur uh, buying building businesses for the past 35 years, uh, private equity-backed, venture capital-backed businesses. And then uh, in 2020, I was on my third business and uh, COVID hit and uh, all these mandates and all these rules and regulations, I had to shut my businesses down. I just got home and said, I'm, I'm done. I'm closing my businesses because I can't take this. And, and that was before I was orange-pilled and before I knew I was a libertarian and, and sovereignty and all that stuff. But I guess it's uh, in me. So I closed my business down. I went from working seven days a week to no days a week like most people. And uh, I, it allowed me to, to go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. So uh, I just spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For now, it's years of just learning, understanding, researching Bitcoin. Um, a lot of our, so yeah. That, that's, yeah, a lot of our listeners, uh, including myself, even though I had a little Bitcoin before 2020, it really wasn't until 
2020, the COVID lockdowns, the stimulus, just all the the clown world stuff that really kicked off three years ago, almost four years ago, um, which really orange pilled me. And so, I guess you you mentioned that you were an entrepreneur, you worked in private equity, and you COVID caused you to shut down your third business. What kind of businesses were you involved in that you were investing in? Were these like technology companies, you know, things like that, financial companies? No, that that that's way uh, that's way too. Uh generous of you to think that that's my <laughs> my level i i was a down and dirty brick and mortar entrepreneur i had retail locations i built my first company to 40 locations throughout the u.s i sold that and then i did the same thing in, in canada mostly toronto we had 18 locations so it basically brick and mortar stores i had vintage clothing stores and sort of hype sneakers and hype merchandise uh, that was my business so it was exciting. It was great to be in. It was kept me young, right in the action. But it sounds um, like a lot of hard work. I was every inch of progress was real work. So, <laughs> so uh, it, it was hard, but we did it. I like, yeah, I mentioned that because it's like you know, you, there's so I I brought up technology, financial companies, uh, most of what a lot of people, especially on on Twitter or wherever, they think about these types of companies, these private equity or public companies, they think of, um, you know, SaaS companies, technology companies, financial companies, and these things get like massive amounts of funding. They have uh, their stock prices run up because interest rates have been so low, so they don't have to turn a profit. They don't have to show revenue, anything like that for years, right? But like to, to open a brick and mortar company, right? You've got to lease that property. You got to start turning out uh, revenue, selling products, like what is the time scale like when you start one of these companies before you start seeing some sort of traction before you have to pull the plug? Because I feel like the feedback is much, uh, the feedback loop is much shorter in these situations. That's a great point. And I didn't realize this until now, but what you just talked about is the financialization of, of our economy and the crazy multiple. It's only because of free money and low interest rates. Uh, I did it, and you know, I did it from 1990. I hate to date myself, but 1990 all the way up to you know 2020. And so back in that day, when I met with my initial private equity group that that uh, initially funded my endeavor, once I had had it running, it's all about at that point. It's it's completely different than most companies today. It's all about financial statements, cash flow, uh, capital expenditures you know, debt to equity rate, like all the things that you learn about in business school actually happened. It seems to me that that is, that's gone out the door. And that's one of the reasons, that's not specifically, but that's like, I, I, I stopped doing business. I'm like, this is a world, I, I don't even understand how it's even surviving, but it is. And then I kind of learned more about how it is surviving. But I wanted to know part of that sort of, but when my employees were making more money, um, not working, they're making over $1,000 a week. And I'm like, guys, we got a business. Like, we got a great business. Like, let's get back to work. And, you know, 25-year-old kids making 1000 bucks a week. They're sitting home, hanging on the couch, you know, playing video games and having fun. They're not coming into work. So at that point, I'm like, this is, I don't know what's going on. I couldn't figure it out. But I'm like, something in my gut is telling me. And, and I, I have multiple sclerosis. I, I'm, you know, I don't walk well. So I'm like... I can't physically do this if it, it just didn't feel right to me. And I, I'm so happy I made that decision, but I just, 
to close my business in less than 24 hours. I told my crew, I, I apologize that we're closing, but that's what we did because the, the rules had been changed and I didn't know that. No one told me the rules changed. Right. Like you hear lots of anecdotes and stories about companies that suffered from the lockdowns and, for, you know, just from the incentive switch that the government kind of flipped, you know, in March of 2020. But you being somebody in the industry, I mean, I'm sure you knew multiple other brick and mortar companies, people, entrepreneurs running these companies. What, how many in, just from your perspective in your world, did you see, you know, fail or just, you know, a company, somebody that built, spent their blood, sweat and tears building, and they just get rug pulled like a Celsius or a BlockFi customer, uh, you know, overnight, essentially. So, you know, I, I read a great book on this. Um, yeah, I, I think it's an intentional, um, I, don't, I don't want to start conspiracy discussions here, but I, this I is think the place the to do it, Jeff. Is, this is the place to do uh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Th thank you for the uh, entree. Uh, um, you know, the goal, I, you know, I couldn't be in business and sell my sneakers, but Foot Locker could be open. Like, you know, why couldn't the local hardware store be open, but, you know, Ace True Value or Target can be open? And so that didn't make any sense to me. And I'm like, basically, I, I realized they're trying to crush small businesses. I mean, they're trying to, because how can you control, you know, million small businesses? You can't, but you can control an Amazon, a Target, Home uh, Depot, and the big retail, Home Depot, Lowe's, right? So that's, I didn't realize that was the plan back then, but that that's kind of the plan and it's worked. I mean, I look at small businesses today and between inflation, meaning the cost of their goods, um, and all the debt that people, that the customers are in. I just, I don't understand how they can even stay in business. <laughs> I, I find it very uh, right. And the people, like some of the, the, the larger companies, the corporates that you mentioned, right? Like they're a lot easier to extort um, and control through the cost of capital. So, like you know, these smaller these smaller businesses, right? They go to the local credit union, the local bank. It's harder to, like you said, to control these individual small businesses, but they can go through their um, banking partners right so to speak and basically tell walmart home depot lowe's all these massive companies like you know you're you're priced out of the debt market if you don't comply with um kind of the regulations that we've decided we want to push to get through this covid crisis right did, did you have to did you receive some sort of letter or something making you close your businesses or did you read it in the newspaper like somebody getting traded from the dodge <laughs> <laughs> well i i, I so uh, you know, I was, I'm in Boston and my stores were, are on, were on Newbury Street, which is the fashion shopping street in Boston. And so that's where all the, there were, there were protests there and riots there and all, you know, this was, it seems like years ago, but it was only a couple of years ago. Uh, and, and most, 50% of the stores on Newbury Street, which is like Fifth Avenue in New York, it's like the fancy street in Boston to go shop. Uh, you know, rents are $150 a square foot minimum. Now they're more. But so it's a very expensive place to do business. 50% of the stores, the windows were broken. They were all boarded up because there were riots. So so if we think all the way back, that actually happened in, in Boston. I'm not sure where you guys are located or if it happened in your cities. But so I didn't need the state to tell me anything. I mean, I'm like, all right, half the stores are boarded up. I get guys with like, you know, gun owners, which I'm a big Second Amendment guy, so I'm not 
just saying anything in bay, but they're sitting there with guns trying to protect their property. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> so it wasn't, you know, but also my employees were very, oh, we have to stay six feet apart. No, we have to wear masks. And I, I was totally against that. And I, I couldn't go against my employees. I needed them to work. Right. Their incentives so were like, uh, suddenly misaligned from yours. They had all the incentive to get... stay home, to social distance, to basically That's behave right. in a way the government's telling them they should behave. The media's telling them they should behave, but which is out of, you know, it's not a, aligned with the incentives of running a business, of running running it profitably, right. of surviving. And like we, you talked about the riots. I mean, I don't know. It's probably different in each community, but I'm assuming there was no recourse from the local government from the federal government, if you uh, experience damage, right? People always say, oh, they have insurance, right? But then that's, that in is included in this inflation number where your insurance premiums are rising because you live in an area that, you know, the, the state mafia has sent its goons to intimidate you if you don't have the right sign in your window or you, you, you were open during COVID, like just anything, like your costs are just going up and your, you know, everything's going up thousand percent right and, and, and i guess my gut told me that you know this is only going to get worse and if you don't like it today you're not going to like it in two years or three years and I, it was one of the best calls i ever made because it allowed me the time to you know research and understand bitcoin and i you know i got you know i'm late to the game in 2020 but if you guys remember back in march of 2020 this was brand new to me but Bitcoin went down at $3,000 or around 3000 And I didn't know if that was good or bad. I mean, I, I could see the charts, but I'm like, all right. So I started putting my, so I started buying in at 3000 So, you know, I, I closed my business down after working 35 years. I started researching Bitcoin. I'm not even sure how or why. I, every time I turn a page, I read, you know, uh, Saifedean's book, Bitcoin. I read every Bitcoin book that I can get my hands on. Um, and every time I read something, I'm like, oh my God, this actually makes more sense than I thought yesterday. And every day my conviction just grew and grew and grew and grew. And then, so I was investing a little bit, you know, a little slowly because I wanted to make sure I knew what I was doing, which you never know. You're, I mean, you're never confident that you know what you're doing. Um, but, but you have to get to a certain level. But that summer, Michael Saylor, this is this is the real story. So I, I started at three thousand dollars in March, you know, just doing hundreds, putting in, just seeing how it was going to grow. Oh my god! But when Sailor went in, he put in two two hundred fifty million dollars, I think, in August of that year. And I watched a lot of Sailor, you know, on, on YouTube. And I'm like, wait a minute, for the first time, not the first time, for one, what one of the times in my life I'm going to say, wait, a minute, this guy is a million times smarter than you will ever be. You know, he went, he's an MIT astronautical, astronomical engineer. I mean, he's a genius. He's the longest standing tech company CEO. I mean, he's literally a genius, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion. And I said, if he's putting in $250 million into this thing, I'm all in. And from that day in, I, you know, I'm, I have a family. I didn't tell my family I'm all in, which includes my wife. Um, but just joking, everyone. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I went all in once, once, once Taylor put the 250 million. That up to that point, right? So I just want to maybe parse out your psychology a little bit here. Cause he, when January of 2020, New Year's rings in, which we're about to do for 2024 now, I can't believe it's already been four years, but you, you have your business, your third business, you're presuming that 
this is going to go well, like presumably the first two did. And then you lose all that a few months later. And you, so you're kind of going from this investing in businesses. I, I don't know if you own stocks or how you invested the rest of your money before well, this, but it was, it was equity. Okay. Equity based to, I found this new thing called Bitcoin. I'm reading and learning about it more every day. What was the, the anxiety level? You have the anxiety of everything else in life, but now you're moving all of, you know, slowly moving some of your, which would be all of your savings pretty much within a few months from here into this very speculative or speculative new technology that you're just learning about. How, you know, nervous were you or was the conviction growing so fast? You, you know, Dan, I'm so happy you brought the emotional side up of, of this because that's even more important to me than the financial side. Um, so I went, I worked on, and I'm not exaggerating. I've worked seven days a week unless my wife made me not work, but seven days a week for 30 something years. I also enjoyed it. It was my life. It was my personality. It was my everything. So what, and I say seven days a week, I mean seven days a week. So I went from that for over 30 years to having zero to do. Plus I'm handicapped. I used to run marathons. I can't even, I can't walk without a walker. So so it's been tough. And so I use my businesses to keep me like, uh, you know, energized. But when I close my business down and I can't, I can't exercise the way I want and get that adrenaline rush that I like, uh, I was in a very bad place. I mean, a, a really bad place. Like, what's this all about? I'm not sure how long I want to hang around it. Uh, and I'd never been that, I'd never been low in my life. I'd never been that low ever. It was very scary. And so Bitcoin, yeah, watching it go from 3,000 to 10th or whatever it went to, you know, is great. But if you don't feel good mentally, uh, it the money doesn't mean a thing. So, so Bitcoin, besides uh, increasing my wealth, it saved me and brought me back, helped me have a beacon of hope or of faith that things can get better, even though I don't understand what's going on. But without that, without Bitcoin, and so it's true, I and mean, without Bitcoin, I'm not sure I'd even be here talking to you guys, really. I, because what else can you grasp? If you fully, like what else can you grasp onto right. that, that's solid, that you know is the foundation? Right. right now, there's nothing in the world like that except Bitcoin, and that's why People are running around with their heads in the clouds because they don't know what's going on and they can't grasp onto anything solid and they're just trying to like survive. If, and that's yeah. terrible. Before so we, that's why I'm grateful to Bitcoin. Before we get too far away from your your backstory and uh, your your orange pilling story, you meant you mentioned that you you have multiple sclerosis. Can you talk a little bit more about when you got that diagnosis and kind of what the, you know, how that's impacted your life and the prognosis. Um, cause I, I don't know too much about it. I know a little bit about ALS, which is a, for lack of a better term, a different type of sclerosis that, uh, took Hal Finney, um, one of the first Bitcoiners. So w can you talk about that a little bit? Well, a ALS is, um, it is you know basically people get five year, they have five year uh, lifespan when you get diagnosed basically. MS is similar to ALS as far as what happens, but it just takes could take 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Um, everybody's different. But I got diagnosed when I was in my uh, early 20s 
my dad had had MS, um, so it's in my family. So early 20s, I walked out of the parking lot with because I had seen my dad suffer, and I got diagnosed. I, I woke up one morning, I the from my waist down was completely numb. I couldn't feel it. I'm like, well, what the hell is this? And uh, we went to the doctor, and we got the diagnosis. So th- that first day, I um, I remember saying to my parents, I'm, I'm going to kill myself because I was active and, you know, teenage kid. And, uh, but I got beyond that. And, and after that, I made a decision what, what type of life I want to live. And do I, I, I decided just to kind of go as hard as I could and push as much as I could and, and take the positive side of things and see what would come out of life. And so after I got diagnosed, I, you know, ran marathons and, uh, snowboarded as much as I could and, and, and built a couple of businesses. So it, 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 it's, it's affected me emotionally as far as my character, as far as challenges to me, uh, are, are just that just challenges. They're not problems. And, uh, and you become stronger once you get through to the other side. So that, you know, COVID was a big challenge for me. Right, so sure. That was hard to get. Before we transition on to kind of what you're working on and what you're involved with today, um, from our discussion so far, it sounds like Bitcoin was a very transformative, um, had a very transformative impact on your life due to, you know, the, the external circumstances and how you found it. But you mentioned also like, you work literally seven days a week. You started and, and built three companies. That's like you, you alluded to a lot of uh, movement, a lot of you're staying busy. Your mind is just, you know, not, not to say distracted, but it's focused. And then all of a sudden that comes to a screeching halt and you kind of replaced some of this curiosity, some of this drive with learning about Bitcoin. But what about your journey with Bitcoin or how has it, and and the time that you had to like stop moving and just start, I don't know, being in this new circumstance, what did you learn about yourself through learning about Bitcoin and kind of finding this community? Because you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned you didn't know you were a libertarian, right? And then now you found out you're a libertarian. Oh, I I see. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. You know? Yeah, I... You know, because I, I have a great group of friends, and they're all you know pretty successful, and most of them are in the financial world, and and uh, like so we talk about this stuff all the time, and then so I, I learned that out of my whole group of friends, like I'm one of the I'm the most hardcore libertarian in my whole group of friends, and I didn't even know that three years ago, but uh, when I start talking about it with people, you know, it, 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 I, I'm the one that's way hardcore more than my friends um I, I guess when i look back at it i guess the sovereignty or the independence or the or the permissionless i've kind of lived my life permissionless although i've abided by the laws but i didn't you know i, I worked i went to business i went to uh i got a degree in accounting in, in business school and i worked for a cpa firm for a couple of years and I quit and my parents were shocked. And I said, I would rather wait tables than work in the CPA for than work in a cubicle in an office all day. So 
And then, so I basically realized I don't like, you know, to ask permission or be told what to do. And it started very early on. And I think it's progressed to being a libertarian saying, you know, we want freedom of speech. We want hard money. Uh, you know, we want the Second Amendment, all, all these type of things. So it, it, I guess early on the seeds were planted and that's kind of, and I've just grown yeah. to figure out that's really who I am. Other than the, like the permissionless, when you, you mentioned you were reading more about Bitcoin every day and you're like, this, this is more legit than I realized yesterday. What were some other aspects about it? Maybe the technology, the difficulty adjustment that really caught your attention and sent you deeper down the rabbit hole and like built your conviction? All those things you mentioned were uh, are icing on the cake. I mean, like you know, it has everything, but then you throw in the difficulty adjustment, right? You throw in the having, like, oh my god, this is just genius on top of genius. I'm like, you know, it, it's unbelievable. So, so that, but to fully understand that, you really have to go beyond reading about Bitcoin, in my opinion. You know, I read history books. Um, you know, uh, you need to learn a lot about psychology history, the history of money, the history of empires. So once you, it's not just about reading how Bitcoin works, because you won't appreciate it until you understand where it fits in and the importance of finding the hardest money ever known to mankind. So it's really, you got to read more than just Bitcoin books. You got to fully understand. Sure. That's why it takes a long time to fully understand this, because you really got to get uh, it put it in context yeah you have to you have to tap you have to understand what proof of work really is right like it's an algorithm that miners use with asics to to find nonces but what it really is is it is that physical constraint tethered to the digital world similar to gold right like you need the the miners you need to the 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 industrial capital to mine gold and to bring it to market just like you need the industrial capital to mine bitcoin and bring it to market it's it's that that constraint and that and it's really based on such simple i don't want to say simple but things that anybody in the world can reason about and understand they can reason about um the laws of physics the properties that um the bitcoin protocol is built upon it doesn't matter where you're at in time and space if if you you can reason about how this works with the technology and resources available to you at your time or place. Uh, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, and it's, it's very important. Right. Um, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> no, I was actually curious if, <clears throat> as you're making that pivot from having no businesses into Bitcoin, are you starting to look at, how are you starting to look at business through a Bitcoin lens? So, um, you know, at first I thought, well, I have all my fancy, uh, you know, uh, wealth manager friends, and they're all doing all this stuff to try to earn 7%. And this is initially like, well, I'm just going to hold Bitcoin. And they wanted nothing to do with Bitcoin. So that was initially what I thought. But then we uh, created mass adoption, although it's, you know, it's it's a it's become a business. I guess that's just because what what I've done my whole life. Um, so that's one. I mean, first of all, obviously the the technical part about the peer to peer, you know, all the all that stuff for business is, is unbelievable. The Lightning Network's unbelievable if you're talking like Bitcoin technology. Um, and can, but could you just like 
refresh us all on on what mass adoption is by the way yeah and let me piggyback on that question and say at what point in your bitcoin journey did you decide to start building again and where this you know initially started this movement to start building mass adoption in just your local community right well i i i didn't i didn't think i was going to get another job i'm 60 and 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 i'm i'm disabled i'm like i, I don't need to have another job um but so I I ended up uh, tweeting with a couple of guys uh, that are local, and uh, oh I, I know I, I threw a I threw a, a meetup at a country club in, in an actual neighborhood in this area, and my partner I did it with, um, we videotaped and put on YouTube, and the original. Uh, founder of Massive, well, he was the founder of the meetup group. He saw the video and he tweeted at me and said, dude, how could you have a meetup and not invite me? And I, so anyways, we met for coffee. And ever since then, you know, we thought the exact same thing and we had the exact same priorities and visions. And I'm like, wait, let's, you know, I, I built businesses. I've taken one unit, made 40 units. I, I could do this. Let's build mass adoption. So we went from like three or four people in our first meetup and we teamed up as partners. And, uh, you know, within 12 months, we had a freedom festival in Boston. Um, and we've had, we've, we've been lucky enough to have some great speakers. So we had Jason Lowry uh, talk at one of our mass adoption events, which was amazing. Um, we've had Luke Broyles talk, Greg Foss, Larry Lepard, David Foley, BJ Dichter, Jason Mayer. So we've had a lot of great, great uh, Bitcoin uh, people speak at our, at our meetups. And that's helped help catapult us, you know, to, to keep growing because we've had great support from the community. How did you, um, how did you connect with some of these, uh, people that, and get them to, you know, come out and support your, your cause? Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So the, the first meetup I did was with, uh, a guy I met, I met his wife on Twitter and I knew she was local and we started, she, oh, she tweeted at me and said, you know, I like your tweets. And we started DMing each other and I started going into like Bitcoin. She's like, oh, you got to be my husband. I'm like, well, who's your husband? This is, a, so I started tweeting with him. He ends up, he ends up in the, from the next town over. He's an ex BlackRock fund manager. I'm like, holy shit. You just connected me with this guy. That's a Bitcoin or an ex BlackRock guy. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So he comes over for lunch. We hit it off, and uh, he wants. He has actually like he has a Bitcoin business, like an advisory. So he wanted to create something like, well, let's do a, like a high net worth sort of informational session at you know at he belongs to this club. So we did it, but so he was the one that got the original. Um, he got Foss, Larry Lepard. And a guy from Unchained, I forget, and Brian Estes was supposed to come, who was another very, very smart guy. So he got these guys into the room, which I was amazed at. I didn't really know how big, you know, how how influential those guys were because it was early on in my in my career. And we we videotaped it. I was smart enough to do that. We put it on YouTube, and and that's kind of been the beginning. So it was it was serendipitous. It was luck, pure luck. Uh, what is uh you know what is mass adoption? What are some of the events or what are some of the um things that you put on, and how 
to to drive this mass adoption. Can you talk about um, how did you have Freedom Fest last year? Was that the first year? We have a monthly meetup every month, and in in every once a quarter we have a speaker series. So, like I talked about with that fossil, um, you know, Lapard, Jason Lowry, those were our speaker series. So, once a quarter we have a speaker series. You know, we get hundreds of people at those, so it, it's good. Um, and then I said to my partner, I said, "Look, at I've always I've always been involved in the vintage clothing business and sort of like the flea market." So I'm like, well, why don't we just throw a festival? It's like, what are you talking about? Like, let's throw a festival, a Bitcoin festival, and show people that you can, you know, have a circular economy and, and buy your food in Bitcoin and buy your T-shirt in Bitcoin. So he thought, you know, I eventually talked him into it. He thought it was a little crazy. Hold on, excuse me, guys. Um, sorry. Um, he thought it was a little crazy, but we ended Jeff up. Jeff just ripped we, one. We had, That's what he did. <laughs> no, no. Um, and also, at one of our meetups, we're sitting around. Oh, so, so we're sitting around having lunch with the four or five guys that are like the four or five guys that go to the meetups. And we start talking about growing mass adoption. And I'm like, well, what do you do in the real world? I went around the table. First guy goes, oh, I'm a computer, uh, computer scientist. I'm a large language model guy. I'm like, oh, I, that's great. And then I, then I go to the next side. Well, what do you do? He's like, I work in the energy business side. I work, you know, I work for an energy company that does all this stuff. Yeah. I'm like, oh, energy. Okay, that's great. Then I go to the next person. I go, what do you do? He says, I'm a videographer. I'm like, oh my god, that's great. And then so I said, guys, we have a team right here. We just went around the table, and and another guy. Oh, I'm a writer. I'm like, oh. He actually write one of our guys writes for Bitcoin magazine and a few other a few other things. Um and so around the table we had the team to build mass adoption. And that's how it actually started from the meetups into like a real business because we sat around going, Oh my god, we have all the skill set here. Um so that's that is how it started. I think I didn't answer your question, but that was No, it is. Answer. It's almost like uh it's almost like Avengers. I'm assembling a team and everybody had all like all the perfect uh, aligning skills. Um, when I look at your, some of the branding and the graphics for mass adoption, BTC, it's, uh, very reminiscent of the, uh, the revolution, the American revolution, um, and like kind of the freedom fest, which is kind of, I guess, goes along hand in hand with Bitcoin. Uh, but I just wanted to ask your opinion on this because we've talked about this on the podcast with others, but do you see a, similarity between kind of the old the old pub debates the old tavern debates that uh kind of preceded the industrial revolution all the time yeah we, we talk about okay. it all the time yeah yeah i mean yeah and so you know naturally us being in boston where the tea party occurred and all the a lot of the histories occurred you know for the revolution and for freedom that's one reason why we did the festival last year because like no where is, there's no more perfect city to do a freedom festival in than Boston. Um, so so being in Boston has been very important. For, and we, we, we wouldn't have started this in, in any other state. Because uh, so, it ties so, um, to the revolution, you're saying? Yeah. It, and we all we talk about all the time when we're like on the regular monthly meetups and we're having a couple of drinks. You know, oh, this is what they, you know, I forget exactly that terminology we use, but oh, this is what they were doing 200 years ago in the pubs you know, talking about 
the resistance and whatever. Like, yeah, and we and we totally feel like circulating white. I'm sure a lot of people circulating white papers and and treatises. Exactly. Yeah. So there, we we feel it. I mean, I, I think probably a lot of people do, but especially being in Boston. Have you been just to shift gears? Have you been able to <clears throat> connect vintage your vintage clothing background to Bitcoin? Or if you haven't, question. why haven't you? Come on. I, I I'm trying. I'm trying. I, you know, we I because I, we also used to make a lot of T-shirts. So I'm like, okay, that that I can do like a like a vintage fashion T-shirt with Bitcoin. But I, otherwise, the core the the connections are you know the merchant adoption. So mass adoption. We were trying to really work on merchant adoption because I know merchant services very well, uh, and I've just found it very challenging. We've had a couple partners, and the retailers are not really ready for it the people that we've talked to um and there's no there's no great business case to be made to get into the business of mass adopt uh, of uh, having merchants adopt as far as not, not trying to rent seek but try to make it a business um it, so we couldn't figure that out either so I, I don't know any direct correlation but do, do you know of one no i'm just thinking about or what do you think i'm thinking about these like I'm just all these images of like vintage clothing come to mind and then just slapping Bitcoin memes on top of it or trying to integrate some sort of Bitcoin story around these uh, around this vintage clothing. Uh, that's what I was thinking of. Something there. I just don't have the answer. Yeah. I mean, to that point, that's kind that's one way to spread the Bitcoin message and to um, foster you know, adoption to orange pill others. I'm wondering what world you're saying. What's that? The vintage world. No, I just mean uh, creating Bitcoin messages to spread the the Bitcoin message to spread adoption, just to to pique curiosity in people's minds. But that leads me to my question of at this point in your journey, like how how do you approach spreading the message or orange pilling new people if they show interest and they're kind of noobs to the space like what what uh what angle or, or perspective do you usually use question has a different answer depending on the point of point of time of how long you've been trying to orange sure people. sure yeah for sure <laughs> you know my, my my initial stance was you fuck no yeah you can swear you can swear Okay. You, you fucking idiot! You buy Bitcoin and research, you know, <laughs> and that didn't go over too well. You know, my second thing was, I love you, so please listen to me. Buy fucking Bitcoin. That didn't work either. So, so I've gone from there to now. You know, everybody in my group or network knows me. You know, in my in the normie world as the the Bitcoin guy, the crazy guy, the bit crazy Bitcoin guy. Um, so I I don't. I don't proactively orange fill people or try to orange fill people anymore because I don't think it ever works <laughs> if they're not ready for it. Um, so I wait for people to kind of open up a window to possibly talk about it. Or, you know, if someone, I talk about like if someone's struggling with something or they're anxious, and I'm like, do you know, do you really know why that's happening? You know, so I don't go right at it with Bitcoin. I'll say, you know, it's happening because of inflation and inflation happens. So I'm trying this route now. Um, I get them to pay attention to me a little bit longer. I'm not sure if 
I volunteer people with this, but uh, that's kind of where I am now. I, I think it's tough. That, that's like a stage that a lot of us arrive at, is uh, especially in like these social settings where, you know, at first I remember just trying to like just just vomit all the Bitcoin information I possibly could to everyone I could, and you know, immediately you see the eyes glaze over, of course. But the um, the more I'm hearing the seasoned Bitcoiners uh, and their stories, it's like you you just start to wait for the other person to become more interested. And that's, that's really the entry point. Yeah. And, and from the point when you find that entry point, instead of trying to regurgitate all of the Bitcoin standard to them in the five minutes you have to talk to them, it's lowering your time preference and, and, and letting, and letting that process slowly. A copy of the Bitcoin standard, right? Yeah, you stop the high tide preference. Like, what are you talking? About? Let me tell you about the Byzantine generals problem. <laughs> Did you know the Byzantine? Um, uh, exactly. I think I think we're all proud. Well, I, of, oh, go ahead. I had I did I did have a unless you were going to take it somewhere, but I had a question about the. You mentioned before we uh, started recording, you were there was a project you were filming or a documentary or something. I was curious about that. We actually. Um, we, we, we actually have a videographer on our team. And I said to her, you know, can you do a documentary film? And she said, yeah, I've done many, whatever. So at last year, a year from today, I asked her, can you document, can you video basically everything we do, the meetups, uh, the festivals, everything we do, the conversations, the Zoom calls, everything, um, and create a documentary um, on, the, on the, you know, basically how a meetup starts with two people sitting in a bar going to building the meetups momentum uh, and then how we built it to a festival. So it, it culminates with the festival. It starts with two people at a meetup and ends with the Freedom Festival. Um, and basically we're trying to show people, um, we, we, we want to um, stimulate people to start meetups wherever they are. And this is a really uh, hands-on version of actually what we did and how we did it, and it's not that hard. It just takes people and, and people going and spreading the word. I mean, that's we have anything magical. This this brings up an interesting question to me. It's uh, you know, I, I've had this thought for a little bit of time. Like, did I do I want to start a meetup in my own area? You know, and the the thing that always comes at me, and I'm always like sort of I have trepidation about it. Is like I don't have the technical chops to start a meetup. Like I I you know. I hate to admit this. I don't run a node. You know, I, I, I barely got onto like a, a cold card, like barely by the skin of my teeth. So it's like, do you have any, like, uh, I guess thoughts about how one might do that or, or you, you know, can anyone do that? You talked about, you know, I, I, I'm not technical at all either. I mean, if you can get on the, if you can do this, this podcast, you could, you could do the technical thing for a meetup. I mean, what, what we suggest is you would start a meetup page, which, you know, is like going onto any social media app. And uh, that's kind of like the only technical thing you need to do. I mean, obviously we have more of a business, so there's more technical to that. But to start a meetup, it's not that technically um, demanding. Or are you talking about something else? Well, no, so the, I'm just like, think, yeah, I'm the, thinking about that, that, what that would look like. Like, I'm just like posting on social media, hey, there's a meetup here in my local area if you want to come. 
And or, then I just, I just see like myself showing up by myself. <laughs> and more importantly, if starting a meetup and then if somebody asks you, you know, how do I do this transaction from my node, you know, using it at a more uh, technical yeah, a level, question. being able to answer those questions or, you know, being able to provide them the appropriate resources to, to discover that stuff on their own. What, what mass adoption offers. So, you know, we're offering like, in other words, you could start a, a mass adoption meetup in your state and we would support you. So we would do, you know, help you with the branding, uh, help you get the message out through our Twitter, through our social media accounts. And you just can call it a mass adoption, you know, uh, Dallas, I, you know, I don't know where you're located, but so you, we can help support you. You can call it anything you want. It doesn't have to be mass adoption. We, we can help support you. Um, and then you would just list your meetups on, you could use the Orange Pill app, which is a great app to um, connect with. So you got to find this, the places to sort of get your name out there. So it takes a little bit of work. Um, just like anything, as we know, proof of work, sure. it takes work to um, to create to create a vibrant meetup. Where um, where can people find this documentary and when will it be available? Thanks. So we actually, we just had a meeting about that this week, about, you know, where we're going to, how we're going to distribute it. Um, probably we're, we were going to put it to a film festival and all this stuff, but we decided not to. So basically it's just going to be on Twitter, Twitter and YouTube right now. And then we're working on some other sort of, you know, partnership deals to kind of help distribute it. Um, so it, I'm just going to post it on YouTube and Twitter. Cool. Um, the last question that I have before I let Mike um, ask any that he Awkwardly has left. trip over the ending. Yeah. Yeah. The um, I think all of us are in a similar situation, but this you know we were kind of new to really understanding and, and di digging deep into Bitcoin when the bull market kicked off a few years ago. So this is kind of the second bull market that we're entering, and this time we're I don't know if you want to use the word ready, but we're feeling like mentally prepared kind of thinking about how we're going to handle the price run, how we're going to ta handle talking to our family, our friends, and, and helping people onboard onto Bitcoin. How how are you thinking about this upcoming bull run and what excites you about you know the potential of the next year, year and a half, two years? Um, well, you know, as we know, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin and, and, um, and I'm holding it. So it's not, you know, it's obviously bull runs are great and fun it, and emotionally charges you, but it doesn't change anything in my life. Um, so, so that being said, um, I'm, I, more and more people are coming to me in my group and kind of saying, you know, what hardware wallet should I, should I get? Or, you know, I, I have a guy, uh, my, one of my daughter's friends, he comes over every Wednesday now after he drops his stuff at school just to learn about Bitcoin. And this just happened. My handyman who works on my house, just, he, he is so excited to learn about Bitcoin and invest in Bitcoin. So it, it's happening more and more. And, I, and you know, this was, in, my handyman bought Bitcoin like a month ago when it was like going crazy from like 38 to 40. I forget there was like a really good run for like two weeks. And he's like, that was exactly when he bought it. So he's like totally in. So I'm getting more and more people coming to me. So that excites me. Um, and they're coming to me. And when they come to you, they, they actually listen. 
as opposed to you you, you coming to them. Um, so so that's exciting. And then I just think there'll be more positive energy in the space, uh, in you know in a bull run. And um, so just a, Twitter's a happier place in a bull run, I think. For sure. And for me, it's it's the it's some people can they can't handle the bull market. Some people can't handle the bear markets. For me, it's just resisting the urge to to sell. And I mean, I I don't think I think it's fine if you have some Bitcoin and you take a small percentage off to, and just enjoy life or to buy a home or something. But resisting that urge to to sell more than you absolutely need to. Yeah. So so I, I totally hear you. And I went from completely all in at the very beginning. You know, I told my family guys were on a Bitcoin standard. They had no idea what I'm talking about. I'm like, you do not buy anything. You do not need to survive. Otherwise. You know, and so I went from that, and you know, they think I'm crazy, to saying, you know, nothing in life is guaranteed, and don't be so hard on yourself if you have to sell a little Bitcoin, you know, to to make your life. And that that's actually, I I think people should listen to that because I was very hard on myself, and I lit, I put my family through like, you know, uh, you know, don't spend any money because I didn't want to sell one. Satoshi. And then, you know, uh, I just like, you know what, what, what's life all about? Who cares if you have this or that? I mean, it doesn't matter. You're lucky to have found Bitcoin and to be in Bitcoin in, in my life. So why don't you make your your everyday experience better? So I'd say people don't shouldn't totally stress. I know, you know, on Twitter, they'll persecute you if you sell a Satoshi. But in the real world, make your life uh, livable. That, and just be smart. That is a that's a wonderful message and something that I personally struggle with all the time to whether I should sell or not or how how I can afford not to sell or something like this. I'm wondering like how what how did you make that switch of like you know I'm 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 I have a progressive autoimmune disease. My health gets worse, you know, uh, monthly. And, uh, you know, and I was active and athletic and all that stuff in my healthier days. And I never thought about kind of the real important things in life. But once you lose stuff, you realize the value, you know, the value of every day just gets magnified when you get put in the position I'm in. So it's so precious to me and so valuable. It's like, enjoy it. So... Yeah, who cares if you have, I'm, I'm just making a number, you have 10 Bitcoin, but oh my God, you had to sell it. So you'll, now you only have nine and a half. Where's it really going to matter? So each day, you know, it's not, nothing's guaranteed. So enjoy each day and don't put that much pressure on you because, you know, one day it's going to be over or you're not going to be healthy. So enjoy each day when, as long as you have it. Should, should ask you before we wrap up, I should ask you, um, if there's a particular aspect of Bitcoin that you've been thinking about recently, or that's yeah, a, you know, yeah, the 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 Bitcoin rabbit hole, the deeper you go down, the the less you realize you actually know about it. So at this point in your journey, what's what's caught your eye and got you thinking uh, more deeply and get, making you more interested these days? <laughs> well, well, tangentially, you know, I've been I've been 
reading a lot and learning a lot about Nostar, which is not a new protocol, but but and it's not Bitcoin, but it's Bitcoin related. And um, I, I I went on it today to try to spend some more time on it, and uh, I just think it's it's like I think it's back in the day in like 2010, you know, in Bitcoin where. It's very difficult and takes a lot of time and understanding. It's very niche. But uh, I have great faith. You know, Bitcoin is uh, is freedom money. Noster is freedom of speech. So I think it's that important. And I think it's going to be that important. Um, but I'm spending, I, I think that's a very exciting place. It's challenging. It's a kind of, I'm not a techie, so it's a, it's a little techie for me right now. Um, but I think it's as important for speech as, as Bitcoin is is for money. So I'm excited about that. Uh, Jeff, before we go, uh, can you repeat kind of the the where we people can find you on Twitter, on YouTube, um, mass adoption, and and what to look for, all that stuff. Our website's massadoption.net. Uh, our Twitter handles, uh, I don't know, Matt. Uh, BTC underscore mass is our Twitter handle and YouTube is mass adoption. And also we are, we're having another freedom festival, May 4th uh, of 2024. We have some great speakers. We have a cattleman and feast with Texas slim, which was, which is a great, uh, a, a great take last year. Uh, we have soccer tournaments. We have parkour demonstrations. We have Bitcoin workshops, uh, food speakers, Bitcoin wrappers. So a lot of exciting stuff. So you can find information about that on massadoption.net. Um, cool, man. That was cool. Jeff, yeah, thanks that, for talking to us. Thanks for talking to us. Glad we could finally connect. I I, I thought we, uh, I wasn't sure if I uh, was in my own world a little bit, getting off on some tangents, but but thank you. No, we, this is a podcast no, about, tan- we're, we're all about tangents. <laughs> Okay. Well, as I really enjoyed the conversation, whether it was a podcast and I enjoyed talking. Same, same. Uh, awesome. Yeah, we'll uh, keep in touch. As I, if you want to come to the Freedom Festival, hit me up and uh, you, you'll be our guest. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm looking into that uh, today, actually. That's okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll cut it up. Thanks again for listening to the High Hash Rate Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at High Hash Rate, or you can hit up Dan at Heartland Bitcoin, H-R-T-L-N-D Bitcoin, or myself, Mike, at Run Dance Bitcoin. That's all one word, Run Dance Bitcoin. If you're a fellow pleb or you just want to shoot the shit with two high Bitcoiners, reach out to us. Holy Toledo!